This message was presented at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our third installment on the Sabbath School uh, seminar. This seminar is entitled The Resurrection of Sabbath School. In our first installment, we looked at the principles of what makes Sabbath School Sabbath School and the life of Sabbath School. In the second installment, we looked at, we kind of made fun of Sabbath School a little bit and why it's dying. And in this one is a very positive one. We're looking at ways to revive Sabbath School in the local context. Here, we're just giving suggestions and different principles from the spirit of prophecy, but obviously, we know that every context is a little different. To start off, I want to ask you, how many of you have been with us since uh, the first seminar? Please raise your hand. Oh, the faithful. How many of you were here, not for number one, but for number two? Please raise your hands. Okay, the semi-faithful. And how many of you, is this your first time here? Okay, you are the floaters. Okay, very good. Very good, very good. Uh, I only ask that question because the seminars kind of build up on each other and there's kind of a flow, but you're totally welcome. And uh, some things you may, you may not know the context of what we're saying it, and some of you may have questions of which we've already addressed in the past, so that's why we're, I asked those questions. Uh, we want to invite you to come out to our fourth session at uh, 2.30. Two, two, two uh, open Q&A. And the Q&A will come from you, and if you guys have wonderful questions, you'll have wonderful answers. If you don't have any questions, then we're just going to end it up, and you guys can go to another seminar. But no, no need to squeeze out something when there's no juice in the lemon. That's a weird idiom that I don't know what it really means. So we'll have a word of prayer, and we'll get started for this session. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, you are in the business of resurrections. Lord, we ask that the example, the motif of the resurrection of Jesus uh, in the motif of creation, of breathing life uh, into something that which was not alive, the principle of ex nihilo to, to bring about something out of nothing. First, Lord, we ask that for our own lives. We ask that Jesus may be recreated in our hearts. We ask that now, even in the midst of this, this, this formal introductory prayer, we just ask for conversion right now. And Lord, we ask, as we've been pleading all morning, for the, the, the resurrection of our Sabbath schools. Father, we don't want to create Sabbath school in our image. We want to hear from your principles and, and the insights from the Holy Spirit. Bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. I want to ask uh, Jonathan. Oh, Siku, welcome back from the rapture. Uh, Jonathan, um, Siku has other extra extra uh, business. She needs to take care of three children. Uh, Jonathan, um, just give us a, for our floaters who are joining us for the first time here, just give us a recap of where we're in, in seminar number one and number two, and uh, we'll get into number three. All right. Uh, welcome, those of you who are here for the first time. Uh, in our first section, we talked about uh, the ideals of Sabbath school, and we saw that Prayer and Bible study, uh, mission and fellowship are the core principles of what makes Sabbath School alive. And this is something that we all agreed on that is something we want and want to see more of. Uh, and it is when we engage in those uh, elements of Sabbath School that Sabbath School will be powerful. Uh, we talked about how Sabbath School can be very missional. Uh, we can reach out to people that are missing in church. We can reach out to neighborhoods. There's so many wonderful things that you can do. And, of course, the power of Bible study, actual Bible study that takes place in Sabbath school. 
In our second section, we talked about the death of Sabbath school and how uh, the reality uh, is for many of us that Sabbath school is not really engaging and no one is showing up and there's all these issues. Um, we talked about why is that the case. We realized that uh, it, it, it has to a great degree uh, in, the, in the northern hemisphere uh, to do with the fact that we are um, lazy and we want entertainment. And so the, and selfishness is, plays a big role. Um, and we, we, we kind of talked about that and how that, how that affects Sabbath school now for generations and why it's going downwards. And uh, we realized that we need to take initiative ourselves and to make a difference here. And now in our third section, we're going to talk about the resurrection of Sabbath school. So is that a good synopsis? Yeah, awesome, awesome. I, I would say that we have forgotten the purpose of Sabbath school, in, especially yes. in North America. Mm -hmm. And Sabbath school has reverted into this experience. How many of you have had this? Uh, Sabbath school starts at 9.30. No one's showing up at 9.30. It's about 9.45. You have a little bit of awkward of like hymn music going on. No one's there. So you stretch it out to 10 o'clock. Still no one's there. Then in the 10.10, people start trickling in one person at a time. Then you have this long introductory boring thing no one wants to talk about. You kind of get into the lesson study around 10, uh, 10.30, 10.45, and by that time, the bell rings, and then no one knows why we're studying it, and then you just, okay, we're done now, and you have an awkward prayer. The prayer has really no purpose. It's just a conclusionary prayer, and everyone goes upstairs or downstairs to wherever you got to go. Does that sound like Sabbath school to you? That is not Sabbath school. That is a waste of your time. I know that's pretty, that sounded more serious than I meant it to sound. But that is not what a Sabbath school should be. We've established this morning that Sabbath school should be a vibrant time. We're talking about world missions, how that local, your local Sabbath school group is making impact locally and globally. It's been looking at Bible study and not looking at the, the quarterly and reading through it. By the way, I did this one time, and one man came up to me and he says, How dare you say don't read through your quarterly? Did you know, young whippersnapper? And he said, young whippersnapper. And I appreciate it so much. He called me a young whippersnapper. That he said that the quarterly is near inspired. And I'm like, really? I have never heard of that term anywhere in the Bible or anywhere in the spirit of prophecy. Something called near, quasi-inspirato. I don't know what that, I've never heard of that. And, and I'll tell you, I work in the general conference office. I know Cliff Goldstein. He's in the corner office down. He would be the last person who would have said that his own writings are quasi-inspired. They are a Bible study guide. They're supposed to guide us, and reading through it punishes the person who studied it and rewards the person who didn't. So let me ask you, and I'm just kind of waxing eloquently here, what are some ways, and this is going to be a random discussion, we can cover a lot of stuff, what are uh, ways we can resurrect uh, Sabbath school? Uh, especially in the young adult context, but this applies for children's and also adult and the whole superintendents, the whole ecosystem of Sabbath school especially. Siku. Um, I'd say probably the first thing is that we need to individually have an experience with the Bible. Um, and specifically, as, as we talked about in the previous sections, that what the Sabbath School Bible Study Guide is, it guides the entire world church in a specific topic. Yes. Um, so it's awesome that we all have our individual Bible studies and, you know, we're studying different things at different mm -hmm. times. But it'd be great if, as part of our Bible study life, 
personally were studying the topic that the world church is studying yes. as well. Um, so having a personal experience with the topic that we are studying in Bible study throughout the week, not just mm-hmm. on Friday nights, just so that I have something to say during class, mm. but throughout the week we're engrossed and engaged in the study of scripture mm-hmm. and having an experience with it, that is going to mean that when, when we're discussing it on Sabbath or when the topic is brought up on Sabbath, I have a living experience with what it is that is being discussed. So mm-hmm. I'll say the very, probably the first place is in my own life, um, having an experience with the Word of God in the topic that we'll be discussing in Sabbath school. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. A uh, segue to the, the Spirit of Prophecy quote here, education page 251. This is not planned, but this is really cool. Nice timing, Siku. Uh, she says, as a means of intellectual training, the opportunities of the Sabbath are invaluable. Let the Sabbath school lesson be learned, not by a hasty glance at the lesson scripture on Sabbath morning. Mm. Huh. Mm. Amen. That's the most guilty amen I've ever heard in my life. That was like, yeah, amen. Yeah. Uh, but by careful study for the next week on Sabbath afternoon with daily review or illustration during the week, thus the lesson will become fixed in the memory, a treasure never to be wholly lost. Mm-hmm. So that really segues to Siku's comment. So study during the whole week. There's something about cooking that, you know, when you're, you put all the, the things, what are they called, Ingr- ingredients in there, <laughs> and you just don't put them in the water and then heat it and eat it, right? Yeah. Right, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, that's apparently that's. But you got to put and, and each of the flavors of the onions and the and the cilantro. and the garlic and the tomato and I don't know cilantro. what I'm making. So no cilantro. Cilantro is not. Oh man, uh, I'm one of those. So, you know, you, there, you, it takes time for all the flavors to come out, and those flavors complement each other. And just like a good Bible study, you study it all out Sunday, Monday. But it takes some life experiences, and like what Israel said before, your comment, your your quote of. Uh, I'll mention it later. Um, that it takes a week for these flavors to come out and makes a powerful Bible study. Now, she says this, not a hasty glance at lesson scripture on Sabbath morning. There's some people who prepare for Sabbath school in their car in the parking lot at 9 o'clock. Will that make a good Sabbath school experience? Right? And then they always, their first question is, how many of you studied the Sabbath school? Wrong question to lead off with. Okay, if they do that, you know that they, they, they didn't study it either, and they're wondering if you studied. And if no one studied, then he can talk about whatever he wants to talk about. Right? <laughs> you, you won't know, right? or she. Um, the other cool thing is this: uh, I, I work at the General Conference, and then the next story is Hope Channel, and then they produce Hope Sabbath School. Do you know you guys know Hope Sabbath School? Its host is Derek Morris, and they have about 12 people, and they look at the Sabbath School. And then we have a TV show called Inverse, and we're like the young adult version of that. Both TV shows look at Sabbath school. Guess when they're most watched? Friday night. Friday night and Saturday morning. (laughs) Now, some of those souls are like, oh, I studied all week and I wanted an additional blessing. God bless them. But there's some people who are like, man, I didn't do anything this week. And the pastor just called me on Friday night. I got to teach tomorrow. What's the best way I got to watch? And they watch Sabbath school. And uh, that's not bad, but it just won't provide the quality that we're wanting for Sabbath school. Yeah. Uh, okay, we got technical difficulty. Let me go to the next one. I can, I can say something. Go for it. So I, I think if I'm a teacher, um, what can I do to make Sabbath school uh, better? Um, when, as a teacher, when, when, when I read the Sabbath school lesson, I'm experiencing something in my, 
In other words, we, we shouldn't study the Bible. We shouldn't study the lesson to teach it. Rather, we should study to learn from it. And then after we've gone through that journey of learning, then we share that journey or we bring others along on the journey with us. Many times what happens is that we, as teachers, we, we're, we're simply studying the lesson because we know we have to teach it. And so we're already starting off from the wrong perspective, right? We should, we should study the lesson because we're wanting to see what God is going to say to us. I remember I had the, uh, uh, I had the task one time to, to do the uh, lesson on tithing. And I thought to myself, man, this is, this is going to be horrible. Like, uh, I, I don't want to talk about finances during, uh, during church and all this. I, I just thought it was going to be a boring topic. And as I started studying the lesson, I discovered just beautiful insights regarding the tithing system that the Seventh Adventist Church has. And, you know, I forgot if I was reading it from the text or if I was getting it from some of the uh, Ellen White quotations that were listed there. But it talked about how, uh, you know, there's this river that flows and there are different branches in the river that contribute to this river in, in terms of water flow. And yet at the end, all of that water is deposited into the ocean and it rains, and it goes back and it feeds these small little bodies of water. Mm. And I thought, this is so powerful and so awesome. And so through this journey that I was being uh, spoken to through the Word of God and through my experience, my job then as a teacher was to figure out a way in which I can communicate this principle to the people that are now attending my Sabbath school class. And so we went through those texts together. I, essentially, I just, I just rewound the journey, and I asked the same questions that impacted me. And, and, and this is what happened. Two things happened. The first thing that happened was that I, we were able to arrive at a journey. We, we reached a destination. I was able to communicate my experience with the text. But something else that happened as well was that as we were going through this journey, through this process people began to join it, and they started sharing other insights that I did not catch. And it, there was a fruitful blessing where these people received a perspective that they had not received, and then I was also receiving my own, because I thought I understood it already, but there was other stuff that I did not catch the first time around. And so, yeah, the synergy. And so you have, thank you, Alex. So you have, uh, as, as a teacher... We should look at the lesson not as something we have to teach, but as something that we first must learn. Once we learn it, that's just step one. Step two is how do we now communicate this and engage the, the, the class that is, that is a part of my team? How do we engage them in arriving at the same journey? And it's sometimes God's going to redirect the journey. Sometimes that's going to be the final journey that we arrive, the destination, sorry. But... Step number one is to study it. Step number two is to discover, to ask ourselves a question. How can I make this, how can I communicate this in the most effective way uh, rather than just reiterating what I have just learned? Appreciate that, Israel. We're looking at, uh, you're, you're addressing teachers specifically. Right. But, also, but also participants. Um, I mean, what, how, what, what, how can teachers bring it up? How can they resurrect uh, Sabbath school? Cliff Goldstein you always used to say that, that uh, and he still says it, that a good teacher can, can, can teach out of the, the yellow pages. You all, you all know what the yellow pages are? People don't know what yellow pages are anymore. It's like this ancient, you know, brick of a book. Uh, 
An ancient text. An ancient text. <laughs> anyway, a good teacher, it, it, it doesn't matter how good the Bible study is or how bad the Bible study is. If a teacher is good and has the art and is artful about teaching, I mean, they can teach anything. And that's, we got to train teachers. Uh, what, what are some insights we can tell our teachers? What was the question? How can, we, how can teachers resurrect Sabbath school? In other words, what I just shared was not good enough, so he's asking you. <laughs> no, one, yeah. one of many, one of many. Well, let me read this quote because this is, this is what, what I mean, you guys can think about it. Um, obviously, we have not rehearsed this. Uh, there's, there's, there's something, we're not rehearsed, but there's a certain rawness, which is actually what we're getting for. And this is what makes Sabbath school really, really awesome. Now, if this were televised, we'd probably want to not do it this way. But there's something real about it. And this is, this is the real-time combo. So she says this in 6087. As we approach near the end, I have seen that there will be less what? Preaching and more? Bible study. And she says, sees this. There will be little groups all over the ground with their Bibles in their hands. And different ones. Different what? So, so, so we take ones out. And then who, who are, what are these ones doing? Leading out. So these are, you can say, different teachers. Is that okay to say? Yeah. Different teachers leading out in a free conversational study of the scriptures. There's a certain power, and I don't even know if you know, this is kind of what what I wanted to do. Like, we have the four of us are here, and some of you are thinking, man, they're not very professional, and they're, they're kind of making mistakes. That's kind of what we're going for. It's conversational. It's free. We're, we're kind of like joking. Not that the joke is the main thing, but it's just a conversation. We talk like this normally anyway, but now the talk, topic is about spiritual, converse, uh, 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 biblical things. And that's what we're aiming for. That's the, that's the magic. I don't know. Let's stop using that word. That's the, the awesomeness of Sabbath school. <laughs> the core of Sabbath school. Yeah. Special sauce, if you're going to distill the culinary gastronomic method. So, uh, too often, our Sabbath schools are what? They're pre-sermons, yes or no? Yeah. You have that one elder who won't let go of the, the Sabbath school pulpit. Do, we, do people still have Sabbath school pulpits, the one that go up and down? Um, or they're just monotone, or the reading, or the one person who's not prepared, and everyone doesn't want to be there, so and they, and they ask these awkward questions, and no one's answering. Yeah, the passive-aggressive mm-hmm. Bible study. Yeah? <laughs> Have you been to those? Mm-hmm. You guys are all passive-aggressive yeah. right now. Okay. So uh, we need to get back to a free conversational study of scriptures. And she says this. This is a prophecy she, she sees that will happen more and more. And this was crazy. A couple of GYCs ago, I was going down, walking down one of these hallways, not here in Kentucky. And I saw one group of here in a Bible study, another group in Bible study. And it wasn't even Bible study time. No one was saying to do about it. They're just kind of opening the Bible naturally. And I'm like, dude, this is a fulfillment of, of Bible pro- prophecy in a sense. Siku. I just wanted to, if we can go to a text about how text. Um, Nehemiah, in Nehemiah chapter 8. Yes. Like how. Um, Nehemiah 8. Be, yeah, Nehemiah 8. What would be helpful maybe for teachers, what the Bible says about how to go about it. Yes, Nehemiah um, 8. And Nehemiah 8, this is where. You know, after rebuilding the walls, you know, Nehemiah rebuilds the people. And so they engage in this Bible study and they have this revival experience. And in verse 5, it starts with, Ezra opened the book in the sight of the people. Um, So opening the Bible is important. Um, It says in verse 6, Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. All the people answered, Amen, Amen. Lifting their hands, they bowed their heads, worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. There was was time for prayer and, and worship to God, right? So... 
um, coming, the, the Bible is there and is central to the experience and they, they have a time of prayer and their focus is on God, right? And um, verse eight, they read in the book of the law of God distinctly, gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. And, and the way that the chapter goes is that they, you know, they had, they, they read the scripture and they kind of broke into like small groups, right? And they had um, teachers for each of the groups. And it says, these teachers now facilitated the understanding, not just reading what it said, but helping people to comprehend, like, what, what did you just read? Do you get what you just read? What, what, in what context was it said? What are the meaning of, what's the meaning of the words? It says that, um, Oh no, how many chapters? There it is. Read the book distinctly, giving the sense, causing them to understand the reading. Um, and I, I, it may seem simple and rudimentary, but just those steps of you know, opening the word of God with a prayerful spirit, trusting that the Holy Spirit can guide you into truth. And then the role of the teacher is to facilitate the understanding of scripture. And this goes back to what Israel was saying, like first having an experience myself in it, but now I'm trying to help you to understand and have an experience in scripture. And when that becomes like your Sabbath school experience, like that's super awesome because it's not just what you experienced in Sabbath school on Sabbath, but this gives me a blueprint for what I can do at home on my own. Like I remember, um, so I've known Justin for as long as I've lived in America, right? Like, I think we met, I met him my second week in the States, and he was leading the Bible study a friend invited me to. Um, and what were we studying? Hebrews, I think. Like, we're going through Hebrews. I don't you don't remember. <laughs> right. I think we're going through Hebrews. And wh what I remember about it is, you know, I sat, and I grew up in the church, and I've loved the Lord for, you know, for as long as I remember, you know, but... I guess it was the, my first time as a young adult having to engage scripture on my own, you know, to like, like, let me grapple with things that I'd never wrestled with before. And what I remember sitting in the Bible study is like, you know, he was reading in Hebrews and for the first time, it was like verses that I thought I could never understand, like started making sense. And I was like, oh, so that's what a red heifer, what's, that's what a heifer is. Oh, so that's why it's important. And I'm like, dude, like, this is crazy. And I went from that experience, it was Friday night Bible study. I went from that experience and I was like, dude, like, if that Asian dude can, like, read the Bible and get something out of it, like, I can too. You know, I'm smart. And I learned later on, it's not because he's smart, it's because the Holy Spirit can teach you. You know? I mean, no, 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 not that he's not... <laughs> Jonathan? <laughs> yeah. Justin is very smart. Right, Siku? Justin is, Justin Justin is, is very, very smart. smart. <laughs> but it's not about smarts, is what I'm saying. As smart as he is, God can teach even me. Hey. Okay. <laughs> um, and, and it was really like, you know, I can not just on Friday night or on Sabbath, you know, we go to church and it's like, you know, I want to hear a word and we're listening to the sermon for like that powerful message. From that, from that Friday night Bible study experience, I don't think I've ever shared this with you, but from that Friday night Bible study experience, I left there and I was like, Lord, I want to have that experience every single day when I open my Bible. I want to read the Bible and like you talk to me and tell me something because like why, why would you talk to him and not me, 
right? And, and that was my challenge to God, which was really more a challenge to me to be open to receiving what God wants to teach us on a day-to-day -day basis. That's what opening the Bible and helping people to understand it can do. It inspires, the, it inspires you to be like, man, like the Holy Spirit can help me understand the word for myself. I want to have this experience on a day-to-day -day basis on my own, me and Jesus. And then, you know, it keeps building. So I want to share this because I had an experience and then somebody else wants to, and it grows like that. Uh, can I just uh, emphasize what sure, you said? Sure, Jonathan. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, this, I think the key word here is commitment for teachers and students. Mm. Uh, and, you know, we're all students, really. But committing to, to going deeper than just the lesson, the lesson, as uh, Justin said, I believe it was in the first or second session, is, is a structure. It's just like a skeleton. But there's so much more that you can get out of it. Don't just go and read the one question, find your answer to the one question that's in the study guide. Try to study the entire chapter as a teacher, um, you know, even as a student. But try to really gra grapple with the text. Don't be afraid of, of texts that you don't understand. The, it's the greatest experience when you, when you study something and you don't understand what it means, but you continue studying and then the Holy Spirit reveals it to you as you, as you, uh, you wrestle with the text. Um, and that is something that I believe we have really lost uh, in our church in South School. We don't wrestle with the text anymore. We just go right away to the answer either in, 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 in the spirit of prophecy or, or, Pastor you know, Google. The, uh, or Google or, or what the study guide itself says because usually the answer is in there too. Uh, or at least some, some answer, and, you know, the next paragraph. <laughs> but be, be willing to, to engage with the text, even if it's hard to understand. Let me just share with you one of the most powerful uh, Sabbath school experiences that I have had, and they did not follow the Sabbath school guide, nothing against the Sabbath school guide, but what they did is, this was um, uh, at Andrews University, they have, this is one Sabbath school where all they do is, they literally just pick, they go through the entire Bible, they pick a section in a chapter or a chapter, and that's what they study through. And they go through it, and they look at, you know, they have a, a time for observation. At, you know, you look, a time for looking at the structure, a time for uh, looking at uh, cross-connections to, to other uh, parts of the Bible. Very simple exegesis. But, oh, and then everything's written down on a whiteboard. And as you see everything come together throughout the hour, you're just amazed because you're doing this as a community, as a group, of how the Holy Spirit is bringing out the meaning of the text. And suddenly that, that story that you've heard a million times just has so much more profound meaning to it. I think we can bring that into every Sabbath school experience, especially as teachers. You have the ability to do that. You have the freedom to do that. Don't feel like you're trapped into, you have to follow the, the, the lesson guide. Exactly, the lesson guide, as, as you said, it's a skeleton. It's a guide to, to get you into the text. But then as you teach, ha you have the freedom to, to teach the, the passage. You don't have to quote everything from the lesson guide. Yeah. Um. I was I was asked to lead on a Sabbath school in a in a pretty wealthy church that I'd, I I think I'd only been there once or twice before, and um, I forgot exactly what the text was on or what the theme of the lesson was, um, but I remember that uh, the text that was that was assigned to us was dealing with uh, something to the effect that God was with His people. He had heard their cry, He was with them, and so forth, and now He was going to pull them out of slavery. In Exodus, and uh, I thought to myself as I was reading the passage, what what God uh, spoke to me with was, "I'm speaking to Moses, 
as he's addressing the children of Israel in their, the most challenging experience of their lives, which was slavery, right? And what happens is many times we look at the Bible and we think about slavery in Israel and so forth, and we're just like, man, it must have been rough. And it was rough. But because we've never experienced slavery, we don't know how rough rough is. And so I thought to myself, what is something in my life that is equal to slavery? What is an experience in my life that, was, that I would equate as the worst experience of my life? Because that's essentially what we're comparing. We're comparing the worst experience of their lives with the worst experience of my life. I can't say I've gone through slavery, so I can't begin to talk about how horrible it is because it's never touched me. I've never been a part of that. Yeah, we see the effects of it in our society today. We see racism and so forth and so on. But this is not an issue of racism. I can't take it down the racist path. I can if I want to, right? But the way that God spoke to me was, this is an issue. This is the worst experience of your life. What is it, Israel? What is it? And I had to think about it. What's the worst experience in my life? And I had to think about that and process that. And how did I feel about that situation? And then I went to the church, and before we even looked at the text, I said, what's the worst experience of your life that you've ever had? Asking that to a very wealthy church that you've never met, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting experiment, right? Because I was prepared thinking to myself, there's no way on earth anyone is going to share. And so people are going to say, you know, the worst experience of my life is when you have financial difficulties. You see how they, how they, how they talk about that? They change it from me to you. Now they, they make it general. And so I said, no, no, no. What's the word? When, and when did you suffer financial challenges? What, what blew me away was that after we broke the ice, people started talking about the fact that they're in the middle of a divorce. Someone had cancer. Someone lost a loved one and nobody was there. All sorts of stuff just started coming out. And then I shared my, my, my uh, experience, my personal experience, which was the worst experience of my life. I shared it with everyone. And then we went to the text. How would you feel if you are the children of Israel hearing that God was with you during this time? And it automatically changed the way in which people perceived the text. Because now we're no longer dealing with racism. We're dealing with the worst experience of my life. And then I asked the question. I said, how many of you knew that these people were going through these things? And actually, I asked it the other way. How many of you, this is the first time you're hearing that these people are going through these things? And almost the whole church raised their hands. And I thought, isn't it crazy how we go to church time after time after time, Sabbath after Sabbath after Sabbath, and people are suffering silently. And it was, a, it, was a, it was a huge lesson to me because here these people did not know who I was, and yet they were going through some crazy stuff, and they're sharing even though the person right next to them does not even know what they're going through, they're beginning to share. Man, I'm going through a divorce People don't even know that I'm going through a divorce, and, you know, yet this is reality. And so the lesson that it taught me was that I need to take the Word of God, apply it to myself, and then wrestle with the Lord, God, what is the point of this passage to me? 
And then what is the connection? We're all human, even though we're all extremely different. This is the craziest thing. Even though there's so much that we experience that we have nothing in common with each other with. At the very same time, the opposite is also true. That we have so much in common with each other. And Sabbath school, for me, should be a time where, as a teacher, I figure out a way to really hone in and focus on the application of Scripture to me. How many Sabbath school lessons do we go to, or classes do we, do we go to? And it's like, what is the Bible saying? The Bible's saying everybody should go to church on the Sabbath. Everybody should be going to church on the Sabbath. And there's only one, like, non-Adventist there. And everyone's like, yep, yep, that's what the Bible's saying, right? But nobody wants to say, this is, what, this is how the Bible is rebuking me. Nobody wants to say that, right? So I think the, the most critical job of the teacher ought to be to deal with that final phase of biblical Bible study, which is the interpretation, uh, the application of Scripture. How does this apply to me right now? And I have to model that as the teacher. If I'm asking you to share the hardest experience of your life, how am I going to come up to you and say, yeah, you know, I, man, I, I was studying that exam and I, I failed and it was horrible. I got a C++ and I don't know, how, I, I thought it was the end of the world. And then you have this person that is saying, I'm battling cancer right now, right? So figuring out a way in which we can become vulnerable with the people, modeling for the people what we want to see, mm -hmm. I guess, would be the long way to say what uh, the point I was trying to make. I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you all are teachers? I know I asked this in the first one, but I'll ask you, how many are teachers of either children's or adult or young adult Sabbath school in some capacity? Please raise your hands up high. Okay. That's the, probably the half, half of you, if I can say that. Um, the, the burden of Sabbath school really rests upon the teachers. And teachers, whether you are called to this position by nominating committee or whether it's by perception or by election or volunteer, you're still in a position where God is going to use you to impact Sabbath school. And I guess uh, what has impacted my ministry about Sabbath school is someone challenged me one time and said, look, when you teach the, teach the Bible, you're just not teaching the Bible. It's not that you're some great teacher. Think of yourself as this is your calling, that you are a Sabbath school teacher. Like it is an art form and master the art form mm -hmm. as a disciple of Jesus who was the ultimate Sabbath school teacher. Yeah. And so what that meant, I mean, meaning if you're called to be a professional athlete, you're training day in and day out. It impacts your thinking, your diet, your whatever. And I thought, hey, if I'm going to be a professional Olympic gold medal Sabbath school teacher, what does that mean? So that means I got to read what I read, how I use my time. It all impacts Sabbath school. And the three things that, have, that mentors have, have uh, really impacted me was, was three things. And I, I want to mention this. Is number one is this uh, Janice Watson, Dr. Janice Watson of Oakwood University. I, don't, I think she's still there. Uh, she told me, read seven books at a time. I'm like, what? Seven books? Who does that? And she's like, well, you know, strategically read but read seven types of books. You guys know what they are? You guys want to know? You want to write, write them down? It's not, it's not going on the PowerPoint. Number one, the Bible. Uh, is the, you know, the Bible, yeah? Because you can, if you can be a Bible teacher, you should you know, read the Bible. Number two, spirit of prophecy, because yeah, we're Seventh-day Adventists, yeah. But the first one, she says, is find a topic that you want to specialize in and read 10 books on it. That's the basis for a university course semester. 
Okay, in the university, you pay $30,000 for that, but you can do that for free on Amazon. Okay, find well, 10 books, oh, almost free, book. almost free. Well, if you have Amazon Prime, a little bit cheaper. Uh, 10 books, and usually by book seven, usually by book six or seven, you have read almost everything on that topic, and it's going to start sounding repetitive. And by book eight, nine, and 10, this is when your analytical skills are jiving. Be like, yeah, I read that, read that. This is what this person said, but this person disagrees. And you start thinking like a college professor by your seventh book on that topic. You want to get to a point where like, yeah, 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 yeah. Whenever people are like, yeah, 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 that means they're getting to a level of special, speciality. Okay? That's number one. Number two, read a book that's super, 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 super difficult. So difficult that you don't even understand it. So difficult that you don't even finish it. If you've just read, um, if you just uh, memorized one vocabulary word, it's worth your, 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 your stretching of your brain cells to do that. Yeah? Number three, read something that you enjoy. Because this is a lot of work that, uh, you know, you want to read something that you enjoy and you can just kind of like, you know, aviation, you know, Elon Musk and going to Mars and whatever. Read something that's just kind of you enjoy. Number four, read a biography. There's something about reading someone else's experience that you don't have to experience yourself. You can just experience someone else's experience and you learn from. And what's implicit, what happens implicitly, you become like that person. And then number five, oh, I can't remember number five. Anyway, it's number five, and uh, when I get to it, I'll let you know. I'll contact you guys, and I'll let you know. But just read more. And what happens is if you read strategically, it's actually impacting all the – oh, the last one is read a random book. <laughs> oh. Totally, totally, totally random. So once I read a, a book on uh, Iran, yeah? I read the whole book. I hated the book. I, had, I have no connection. I'm not Irani. Uh, I, don't, I have no plans to go to Iran unless the Lord calls me, so I read a book on Iran. All I remember, all I remember is in 1979, the United States pulled out, and they left, the embassy left in 1979, right? Otherwise, I have, I have no connection to Iran whatsoever. Well, I'm witnessing to a lady, and she happens to be Korean, and her husband works for this, used to work for the CIA. He was a retired guy. And, and he said, well, and I was like, hey, where were you stationed at? He's like, oh, I used to be stationed in... And I said, oh, did you leave in 1979? <laughs> and he said, young man, I did. How did you know that? And I said, I read it in a book. book. <laughs> now, just one dumb book. I don't remember anything about it, but just he thinks I'm the smartest guy in the universe. <laughs> and he said this, young man, if you know that, I want to come to your whole evangelistic series because you must have something to share. The point is this. It's not, not that if you read a random book, it's like you become more knowledgeable. That's not the point. It's just reading something random allows you to make random connections with different things, and it connects you with people in a way that if you just specialize 10 books on one thing, you just become that, and you can't really connect with anyone else. That randomness allows you to be just more ra random. Does that make sense? And then all these things are different flavors, and it makes you a better Bible teacher. Because as you're teaching the illustrations, uh, they all come out from all this reading. It's got to come from some source of ingredients for your, for your student to come out at the end of the day. Number two thing that the person said was, visit your students. We don't do this in our contemporary age. Teachers are considered just you learn for once a day on, on the week. 
every, even children's ministry, I really implore each of your teachers should be studying all your students, whether they're Adventist or not. Just a friendly visit. It should be no longer than 15 minutes. If you're there longer than 15 minutes, you have, uh, you know, some orthopedic problems. You need to get out of there as fast as possible. Number three is, and I, I want to emphasize this, when someone says they've been a Sabbath school teacher for 10 years, what is automatically, what comes to your mind? Ah, they must be a good teacher, right? But is that the case? Like if someone says, I've been a pastor for 40 years, they may have been a bad pastor for 40 years. Does that make sense? When someone says, I've been the conference president for, you know, 90 years. Wow. My conference, my conference only has two members in it. What? You know, so there's a difference. In the Adventist church, we look at the resumes and we're like, wow, 10 years, 10, 20 years, you must be good. That does not make you good. It is evaluated experience that makes you good. So meaning, you go through the experience, I mean, man, I taught, and we're going to do this. You know, we do this, we, we, we film, and afterwards we, we evaluate, and sometimes we get kind of bored of evaluating. Like, hey, was that good? How can we make it? And that's really the key to godly education, right? Whether you go to school or not. And then that's how teachers become better, better, and better, and better. Okay, Jonathan. Um, can I move on? Yes, to please do, please, 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 please. So we talked about the resurrection of Sabbath school. Uh, not all of you were here the first and second session. But really, uh, a resurrection is something only God can do, okay? Only God has the power to bring life to something that is dead. So if you're a teacher or you're a student, it doesn't matter. If your Sabbath school is, is dry as the hills of Geboa, then I want to encourage you to pray for water. Pray for the Spirit. Um, I want to share just a brief story. It's not directly Sabbath school, it's, but it's church-related. Uh, there was a, in 2007, I believe, um, in... in was it Milan, in, in Italy, northern Italy, uh, there was a, a church not growing, uh, issues, and there was a family, they realized, you know, this cannot continue this way, we haven't had baptisms in a decade, and so they just started praying. All of it, they just started praying with some friends at church, and they started praying, praying, and long story short, out of this grew a, a praying movement in this church that... They started small groups. They started, it vitalized the Sabbath school. It vitalized everything in the church. And within just four or five years, they had, I mean, dozens of baptisms, church growth. It showed the power of prayer. Uh, we, we, we know it. We believe it. We, we say that. We preach that. But do we do it? I want to encourage you to really start praying, specifically if your Sabbath school is not, you know, alive. Pray that God will do something and use you. Uh, in the process to bring life to yourself, to resurrect it, to show you in your individualistic or in, in your individual situation what the Sabbath school needs. We talked about the different segments. We talked about Bible study and prayer. If that part is lacking, the Holy Spirit will show you what to do. If mission is lacking, the Holy Spirit will show you what to do. He will show, point out a neighborhood that your Sabbath school should engage in. And if no one wants to join you, you be the one in your Sabbath school group to, to do something. To do something is always better than to do nothing. But let the Holy Spirit guide you in the revival process. We can give you all these methods and, and ideas, and they are all valuable. But let the Holy Spirit show you which one of those uh, you should be engaging in. And, and read, you know, councils on Sabbath, uh, Council on Sabbath School uh, work. Sabbath school work. Um, you know, there's so much wonderful uh, resource out there. So I just wanted to encourage you to really pray, um, to ask God to show you what is the next step to bring life to your Sabbath school where you are? 
I love Jonathan's comment. I think if we have a critical heart, and some of us do, I'm a very critical person, but if we don't resort to prayer, then that becomes bitterness, and it can be very dangerous. But if God has given you an analytical, critical mind, you pray not only for the church to be changed, but also for your heart to be changed, to be able to make changes and, and implement in a godly, nice way in your local church. And so I would, I would especially say for young adults who go in and be like, man, this church is... Those are all God's uh, injunctions for you to change that church in whatever capacity. And God will give you the grace. If it's according to his will, he will cause that to happen. Okay? Israel. The other thing I would challenge us to do as teachers is study the lesson guide throughout the week and then don't open it during Sabbath school class. Yeah. You know, make that... I mean, just do that... Even if you do that once, uh, you know, once a uh, once a month or something like that, just to get into the habit of focusing on the Word of God and using the Bible as the primary book that is studied during the lesson. That's a suggestion that I would share as a teacher. I would say, if you're a teacher, um, delete Adventist lingo from your vocabulary on Sabbath school, even if there's just one person, especially if there's only one person actually that is not Seventh Adventist. Don't don't use things that are very very clearly Seventh-day Adventist in nature, because what that does is it, it makes you think to yourself, if you're not, if you're not Adventist, you're going to be thinking like, this does not apply to me. This applies only to Seventh-day Adventists. Or everybody here is treating me as a project, right? Uh, and so I would completely eliminate um, Adventist lingo. And then lastly, if, if I was a teacher, advice I'd give is... Um, you know, people say there's no such thing as bad questions, but there are there is such a thing as bad questions. If if uh, there are some people in Sabbath school class that might not feel comfortable reading in public, there are some people in Sabbath school class that are not biblically literate, and that's actually happening more and more. Where you're going to ask someone, you know, to read from the Book of Job, and they think it's job, right? And so. There are certain things that people feel uncomfortable doing, or you ask a question that you think is very, very simple to answer, but they don't have an answer to, right? And so think to yourself, ask questions that are, that, uh, under, remember that there, are, there is such a thing as bad questions, and have the grace of God and His Spirit leading you in knowing how to ask questions. And then lastly, figure out a way to involve as many people as possible, um, and that, that is kind of combined with the questions that we ask, you know, it would be, it would be very, it would be very hard for me to, like a bad question would be, what's the first commandment? You think everybody and their grandma knows what the first commandment is, but that's not true. There are some people that don't know what the first commandment is. And if you think to yourself, oh, for sure, Jonathan's going to know. I know he doesn't come to church, but for sure he's going to know what the first commandment is. Hey, Jonathan, what's the first commandment? And then it's like, all, all of a sudden, Jonathan knows he's the only one in the whole room that does not know the first commandment. But instead, we can ask a question that is, that, that is personal to him, that he can share, right? Jonathan, you know, what, what, where's an experience in your, time, in your life when you felt hurt? Or is there something that, you've, that, you've, uh, that has happened to you that, you know, whatever, right? So... A personal question that you know that is not so much tied to the Bible itself, but that you can tie into the Bible uh, once the answer is given to you. So th those are suggestions that I would share if I was a teacher. Uh, another suggestion for teachers, I kind of mentioned it, I believe, in the previous section, um, is when you, and, and this, this is uh, 
piggybacking off what you've been saying, you, you, you study the lesson throughout the week and you really dive into it, into the Word, but then on Sabbath you just use the Bible. Uh, when you do that, let's say, for example, you know, uh, currently now this quarterly is on Daniel, and let's say it's chapter 1. Um, <clears throat> on Sabbath, you, one, one way to do this, to just use the Bible, besides just reading through the chapter, is to use these uh, steps that I mentioned earlier. And if you want to write them down, I'll, I'll, I'll mention them again here. The first thing is you, you, you read through the passage, whether it's a chapter or a passage, and you look at repetitions. Are there words or phrases that repeat or uh, ideas that are repeated, uh, concepts that are repeated? That's usually something that the writer thinks is important. Okay, So the first thing is and you don't have to tell them what the repetitions are. You want the students to share that. Okay, Repetitions, number one. Number two, structure. It kind of goes together. You look, is there a certain structure? Is there like a, uh, you know, an um, introduction? What's the main point and then ending? You want to you understand the structure of the passage. Okay? Uh, so first thing, repetitions. Number two, structure. Number three, observations. What is something that sticks out to you? What is something that is unique about this? Or what are some interesting points in this, in this segment? Observations. We're not talking about application yet. This is just observations. And then uh, number four, Allusions or references. Sometimes, you know, Paul does this all the time. He quotes from the Old Testament. What is he referring to? What kind of concept is he alluding to? What is the scripture he is quoting? You want to gather those things. And the last part is application. Finding an application to what you've just learned. And so, repetition, structure, observations, allusions and references, and applications. That is a great way to to take, pick apart uh, a, a passage in the Bible and to really get a lot out of it. Okay? And you can do this not just in Sabbath school, you can do it in a small group, you can do this in your own personal Bible study, and I promise you, you will, you will gain such a blessing from it. And if you study your study guide and Ellen White's comments and all the other uh, books that, that come with it and Bible commentaries, etc., uh, you will be, as a teacher and as a student, well prepared to really uh, to lead the group into a deeper uh, understanding. Uh, Another thought that just came to my mind before I pass it on to someone else is that as a teacher, and this is something that I do all the time, uh, not to do is to just give the answer right away. Be okay with that awkward silence where no one's answering. Uh, be okay to listen. Don't, don't, don't sh share exactly what you want to share or the best point. You, you, you want them to engage. It takes the brain a couple seconds to process to wake up, to, to lift the head away from the phone or whatever they're doing as students. It, it takes a moment. So just be okay with that. Embrace the silence, Embrace as they the say. Silence. I've been to a Sabbath school class where uh, one guy asked a question. And, uh, man, he, it was a profound question. I mean, we're all there, about 20 of us. And uh, we're, not even a second had passed. And he started yelling at us, saying that we weren't participating and uh, that we weren't, we weren't cooperative. And I'm like, dude, man, that was just like one second, man. Chill out for a second. And then this other guy reacted, and they actually got into a fist fight. So that was a very exciting Sabbath school. Uh, exciting. Very exciting. That's one way to resurrect Sabbath school in a different way. I'd like to look at some quotes, and we'll go to Israel. Uh, so this, been, this has been up on the screen for a while, but some other principles we can look at. Why not honor the creator of the heavens and the earth in obeying the fourth commandment? Why not, as the Sabbath is approaching, Friday, have our business over before the sun goes over? And from the beginning of the week, we shall be preparing our lessons for the Sabbath school. Meaning, Sabbath school does not start on Friday, but it starts on which day of the week? Sunday. Now, this is really cool. I'm not going to read the whole thing here. The Sabbath school, what are the next three words? 
Meaning there are ways to not conduct it rightly. Does that make sense? To so we need to teach how... Ways to wrongly conduct it. Oh, is that what I said? Okay, wait, wait. you know what I meant. Um, so we need to learn how to rightly do it. it. It must be learned. Now, in the middle there, I'm not going to... Uh, I'll go with it. It is not the best plan for teachers to do all the talking. Mm. Mm. Yeah, don't you wish you had this and just kind of flash it at somebody in some of your Sabbath school? I wish I did. But they should draw out the class to tell what they know. And so I just really imagine this, like he's a conductor or she's a conductor, and she's just like, you know, brass, you know, come on, and then brass, sh- shut up, shut up, and woodwinds, 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 and now shut up. And, you know, they're really conducting the comments that way. Then at the end, she says, then let the teacher, with a few brief, pointed remarks or illustrations, impress the lesson upon their minds. This is really anti pre sermonizing. Okay? I'm going to go one more here. Those who study the Bible with a sincere desire to know and to will, do the will of God will become wise unto salvation. The SS is an important branch of the missionary work, not only because it gives young and old the knowledge of God's work, a word, but it awakens in them a what? A love for its sacred truths and a desire to study it for themselves. And this is really the goal of a really good teacher, is you're teaching it, and then they go back home, and are like, man, I really need to study that again for myself. It's, so this is really an art, a, 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 a calling. And some of you are called to this, and others you are not, but you can still learn in this process. And, and Sabbath school, it's a lay ministry. Everyone is involved to get into this kind of Bible study. Israel. Um, I, the last thing I would share is also we need to learn how to better use Ellen White. Um, I mean, even just what you were saying, what you were just reading from right now. Can you go back one more? It says, let the teacher, or before that, the, no, 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 sorry. Yeah. Uh, where it talks about being a conductor, let them draw out from the student, from the class, what they already know. I mean, that's, these are just powerful. Ins- you can't come up with that on your own. You know, it's like, she's essentially saying, like, my job as a teacher is to say, okay, what do you know? What do you know? What do you know? What do you know? This is how these things tie together. Let me share an illustration to illustrate that. Let's close. I mean, that, that's powerful, right? I, you can't just come up with that stuff on your own. But it's important. For the, what, I was gonna try to, what I was trying to say was that there's so much truth, so much beautiful, beautiful truth that is found in the spirit of prophecy. And, and we take it for granted and we beat it up because it's like, no, use the Bible. Use the Bible only. This is a Sabbath school class. You're supposed to study the Bible, not the writings of Ellen White. All of that is true. All the rich stuff that Ellen White has to offer on a text is so profound that we can drink at that fountain for a brief moment and have enough to share for hours and hours and hours on any given text. I was reading um, The Desire of Ages, and she talks about the condescension of Christ. And she, she, she goes off on how God so loved the world that he gave. He didn't let us borrow Jesus, but he gave Jesus to us. And... This really captured my mind. Then years later, I was taking a class in the seminary on a, on a he, from a Hebrew scholar based on this passage of Jesus being the son of David. And everything that he is saying, I raised my hand and I, and I read to him the quotation from Alan White. And he was blown away. One of our Adventist professors, he was blown away. And I thought to myself, this man spent six years, seven years working this text and coming up with something that Alan White says in Desire of Ages. And a lot of times we think that Alan White does not have 
that she just uses her prophetic gift and she does not have the gift of biblical interpretation. But we realize that the more you dig into that, our minds are so um, uh, shallow that we can't catch the depths that she goes into when she's addressing some of these scriptural passages. And so my, I would encourage us to read the spirit of prophecy as we're studying scripture, but then also to know how to introduce that to the class. Many times we come to the other extreme. Alan White says, and Alan White says, and what I love about it is that Alan White says, and if you th look at what Alan White says, just forget the whole Alan White says, and then just share what she already says as though it's your own, right? It's like, look, this is what this passage is saying. And uh, I guarantee you that the more we use Ellen White in helping to build the foundation of our scriptural understanding, the more of a blessing we will be to others. Can I share one more thing before we... Um, I want to just encourage all of us, and I'm speaking to myself as well here, to, and I mentioned this beginning, to commit. Uh, I know it's so easy to float, especially if you live in an Adventist ghetto and you can just go from church to church and all those things and you're looking for your spouse. But we are... Commit to a South School. Commit to a church and get involved. Commit as a teacher to, to master what you're doing. A commitment will make a difference if it's done prayerfully and intentionally. I think God can really use you as a young person, um, even if you're the only young person in your church, to, to make a huge difference. Uh, so I just want to encourage you to, to stay committed because if you, if you just flow from group to group or don't even come at all, uh, you know, it will not come alive. You, you got to be there and be there consistently so you can build relationships and, and really experience a real, real fellowship with the people that you are, you know, grow, living with uh, uh, as a church. I just want to encourage you to be committed uh, in your Sabbath school. Uh, Thank you, Jonathan. Uh, Ellen White says here, I know you says Ellen White, Ellen White, but <laughs> Ellen White says here, Formation of small companies as a basis of Christian effort has been presented to me by one who cannot err. Companies, small companies. Wow. The power of Sabbath school is in small groups. And I would recommend that so social psychologists say six to eight people is the ideal group. Anything smaller, it gets too intense because the teacher is teaching. There's only three people. I'm like, we have to answer because there's only three of us. And then anything larger than nine, we're like, I'm not going to talk because there's other eight other people. So then you just shut down. But six to eight is a nice comfortable time, a comfortable number for people to interact. And this is the heart of the church. Sabbath school is the heart of the church. How many of you have been convicted in some capacity to help your Sabbath school out? I would say this. At the end of every one of your Sabbath schools, end with an appeal. Just because the bell rings, don't just end it. You want to find out what's the point of the lesson to begin with, and you construct your lesson around that. So that by, even, even if, if you end before the bell, even if you have a bell, if you end before the bell, even better. You don't have to go until the bell rings. Just finish with the appeal. And the appeal should, doesn't have to be a Mark Finley appeal. Amen? Yeah, I mean, there's three people like, how many do you want to come to Jesus? No, nothing like that. How many of you want to ask, Lord Jesus, my Sabbath school needs help, and Lord, send me? Say your prayer? Amen. Let's stand up. Pray to Father in heaven, we ask for a special blessing that we prayed for in session one, session two, and session and this session. 
We pray for the revitalization and resurrection of our Sabbath schools. And Father, for if you have given us a critical and analytical mind, we thank you. But Father, we ask that you transcend that into change and action filled with Christian grace. Lord, as we depart from this place and then go to lunch and come back, potentially for the fourth session, we ask for your blessing. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to challenge and inspire young people to take a sacrificial initiative for Christ. To download other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.